Get ready for a week-long celebration of music, community and fabulous fun with Joy Radiothon 2024. Joy has the largest collection of rainbow podcast content in the world and you can help keep us out loud and proud by donating during Joy Radiothon 2024. Just go to joy.org.au slash radiothon. Mark it in your calendars because Joy Radiothon returns June 1st to 7th and remember, we all flourish with joy. You can hear us live on Joy 94.9, Saturday afternoon from 5pm via the live stream at joy.org.au forward slash listen live. Or tune your wireless in Melbourne to 94.9 FM. You're listening to Technogaze, where we gaze into the world of consumer electronics, gadgets and technology. I'm Michael, and in the studio today with me is Mark. Hi there, Mark. Good afternoon, Michael. And we have, all the way, via some very fast butts, Raina. Hello, hello. Hello. <laughs> some very fast what? Butts. Oh, but, but, oh right. some butts. Some butts. <laughs> On the internet. Yes. <laughs> Actually, this is, this is just like Eurovision, isn't it? Come in, come in Raina. Hello. Or is it come in spinner? Wellington calling. <laughs> Depois. <laughs> now, we don't want to steal the thunder of the Eurovision guys tonight. No, yes. It's very exciting. There's lots of exciting things going on all over the world, especially in Europe, though. Yes, um, in Ireland. Ireland and, uh, you know, the, their marriage equality vote. I don't uh, think there are any results yet, are there? Hopefully. I, I think we're, we're expecting some uh, numbers to come through at about 6 o'clock. Great. Tonight. So let's look forward to that. Indeed. And we should also look forward to Eurovision. Team Guy. <laughs> Team Guy. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's very strange that Australia's in as part of Eurovision. We're a, a, we may as well be Euro. We're multicultural. <laughs> yeah, why not? And we have lots of good things on the show today. Yes, and our technology, is that what we're here to Yeah, we, we are yeah. here with technology. And uh, we're going to kick off right. with one of my dreams that has finally come true. What do you mean your dream's coming true, Michael? I'll talk about that in a minute, about oh, one of okay. my dreams. Yes, stay tuned. <laughs> <laughs> and we're also going to have a look at how uh, ATO has Uber upset Uber mm. with one of their recent rulings. Yes. Yes. Uber, of course, being the... Car hire slash, I don't know, intermediary slash, what do you call them? Mm, Taxi service. What would you call them? I wouldn't call them a disintermediation. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I call them big minis. No, yes. So we we do like the word disintermediation and it seems to be the case that, um, you know, perhaps they're not so much a disintermediation, more just a... What? Disruptor? Disruptor. No, 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 I don't know if it's disruptor even. Um, and after that, we're going to be taking to the skies with the Mile High Hacking Club. <laughs> I had to do that. I'm sorry. I apologise. As someone who's just spent a lot of time on a, on a plane, I'm very intrigued by this uh, this story that we're talking about. And uh, we also have in the studio a couple of researchers talking about a Microsoft research project that they're involved in. And one of them is a joint member and volunteer. Hmm. 
Yes. So that's coming up a little bit later on. And uh, we're going to talk about the repercussions from the recent Dallas Buyers Club lawsuit. And uh, they're not all bad, actually. Hmm. Well, they're not too great, though. Could have been worse, though. So we'll, we'll find out a little bit about that and see how it differs between some of the things that have happened in the States. <laughs> and uh, then the ZucksInternet.org has been slammed by the world's digital rights groups as not doing enough to promote net neutrality. I Can I tell you how much I groan when I see those ads on TV? Internet.org. You know, you're like when people with water wells and so forth. Yeah. Like, really? It's almost a little bit like the uh, science fiction movies set in, you know, 200 years in the future and you hear the, back, the voice background, you know, welcome here to the peaceful society and everything mm. else. Yes. There oh, is... I think I've been spared those ads here. Oh, lucky, lucky oh. New Zealanders. I, um, I, I'm actually quite impressed with the stuff that we found this week around that, though. They've pretty much been, like, pulled it apart in a way that, you know, actually makes sense. It's not just ranty. Yep. It's, it's actually... You know, is this really what the internet is all about? And is so. it? And do we want it to be like this? Mm. Yeah. No. <laughs> now, don't forget, you can uh, call us on one three hundred join nine four nine and leave a message with I think Heath, mm-hmm. who's on the front desk at the moment. Yes. SMS messages to o four two seven join nine four nine and the old fashioned email. Yes, on air at joy Which one's more old fashioned, email or SMS or telephone? I, well. Definitely telephone, I guess. You could you could have your rotary dial telephone and still contact us, I'm sure. There's I don't know if they work, the old rotary dials. Mm. Depends on the exchange, perhaps, whether mm. they're still accepting pulses down the line. Yes. Then, of course, we've got the Twitters. Oh, new stuff, yeah. yeah. The new stuff. <laughs> At Technogaze. Social media. <laughs> yes. And uh, don't forget our Facebook page, facebook.com slash technogazejoy949. And uh, we would like to welcome a f- couple of our fans this week, Kurt and Jessica. Yes. If you friend us on Facebook, then we mention you on air. That's you know, oh boy. two seconds of fame. <laughs> Aren't people meant to have 15? Well, well, we'll try for 15. Isn't it minutes? Oh, minutes. Yeah, okay, that's true. Okay, that might be a bit much. <laughs> Kurt and Jessica, thank you very much for being our friends. It's, um, we, we love new friends. We, we and you know what? If you ever see any cool tech stories, chuck them on the page. Yes. Ah, yes. We, we do like to you know, put our own ideas up there, but if you're, you're, um, you've got your own, then hey. We put them through. Yep, we'd love to hear about it. So, my dream, or one of my dreams, I have dreamt for a long time of going to the shop and buying a television set that I roll up, take home, and stick to the wall with blue tack. Really? Sounds ridiculous. And well, it ain't so ridiculous anymore. <gasps> because LG have um, released this prototype of a TV set that's less than one millimetre thick. What? what? <laughs> Less than one millimetre. Can you imagine how it's like, I'm going to tear this. So is, is this actually a, a screen? Like, is it a flexible screen? Can you actually roll it up? Or? I don't think it's rollable. Right. It's, okay. it's just very, very thin. It's, um, it's, it's still large. It's 55 inches wide. Right. So it's a large screen. weighs just under two kilo. And it sticks to the wall via a magnetic backing and is removable. Hmm. Could you also stick it to your fridge? I, I guess you could. The world's largest fridge magnet. Yeah, 55 inches wide. I, I, I'd need to buy a new fridge just to, to cater for that. I wouldn't know if you can put several of them side by side. Actually, I wonder if they've got much of a border, like a bezel around it, or whether they go all the way to the edge. Yeah. We, we, we should, um, as always, these big companies should be listening to us to, to figure out the, the, the best ways to 
mm-hmm. make their products better. We should go out and invest and buy one maybe. Uh, but I don't think we can buy it just yet because it is still a prototype. Okay. So, but but Aww. LG are on 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 all over this, all right? Okay. Yeah, they are. And um, what's interesting about it is it's um, made out of OLEDs, which are used in your mobile phones. And OLEDs up until now haven't really been able to be manufactured in such large sheets. Right. And the LG engineers have basically iterated through the design and the manufacturing process in 18 months what it took them 10 years to do with LCDs when LCDs first came out. Wow. It's, you know, cool how everything just kind of progresses on when it comes to technology, how so, you know, once I've sorted out one thing, it just, we move on to the next. And so quickly, yeah. Mm. It's really good. So uh, maybe soon we'll get our roll-up or my roll-up TV. Mm -hmm. You know, there's so much other cool stuff you could do with that aside from TV. Yep. You know, regular sort of displays or anything, really. Perhaps video conferencing and having that in different contexts, perhaps, which... We'll, yes. we'll talk about later on in the show with uh, Bernas and uh, and Fernando coming into the studio. Hmm. Very, later on in the show, we'll uh, have to ask them what their opinion of that is. Hmm. Now, Uber, Uber, Uber are not very happy because the Australian Tax Office has classified them as a taxi service. They hate that. They hate that because they know that they have to uh, start doing things like taxi companies do. Like pay tax, yes, but like, treat drivers well, <laughs> all kinds of other things. Well, it's it's the thin edge of the wedge, isn't it? You know, it's the start of the uh, of the change for them. But uh, yeah, they're going to have to collect GST from customers and uh, pay to the tax office. And Uber have traditionally, and, and you reference this, uh, Rainer, um, you know, they they've they've got a bit of a reputation of just being a bit bit bullish around their their way of doing things. Um, yeah, look, a big part of their model is that they uh, they really get off on not being like a traditional company and they're all, you know, oh, look, our drivers are partners. <laughs> you know, they're not our employees, so we don't have to treat them like employees. Um, you know, they're all sort of, yeah, rah, rah, we're disrupting. Mm. And it's true, the taxi industry could really use a fantastically big kick in the bum. Mm, yes. But uh, maybe the way that they're doing it is not the way that the rest of us would like it to be done. Well, I, I think there's a bit of give and take on both sides. I think, you know, mm. the tax industry is going to change, which is good for everybody, but Uber needs to probably change and fall in to some degree in line with the rest of the taxi industry in terms of how they operate and, and stuff like that. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, um, Uber have, you know, have this wonderful thing being an, an app that, um, you know, enables you to get very quickly access to information about drivers that are how, how long it'll take you to be taken to a certain place or how long yep. it'll take you to be picked up. And and as a consequence, a lot of the cab companies, particularly in Melbourne and I'm sure around the world where they've set up, they, you know, they've they've changed their approach to customer service. It's no longer just a phone number that you call to get a cab. You you now have an app that shows you the location of your cab as it's yes, gone on right. the way. So, you know, they've got that um you know, they've they've done that. They've they've increased the competition to a to a degree where now we can um, we can enjoy as consumers better better customer service. Mm. But you know, the flip side of that is, hey, in order to um, you know be as generic as they can be across the entire world, because Uber is a is a worldwide company, they're mm. trying to you know push back on any local laws 
that um, that don't necessarily fit with the way that they want to do things, and that's the problem. I mean, they they work in jurisdictions that vary from from country to country, different tax operations, whatever. Yeah, that's yeah. Right. And the uh, the big deal with the ATO is that they want them to pay GST the way that any other taxi driver would, and uh, they I think they said they want to collect that from drivers. Mm. Is that right? Not yeah. just Uber. Well, yeah. well, yeah, the driver the driver has to pay. I think on uh, well, based on what the fare is, not just on Uber's cut of the fare. Because what happens right. is that for every dollar that the driver gets, Uber gets I don't know twenty or thirty cents, whatever whatever their cut is, and uh, so they, you know, it's it's on the it's on the full dollar that. Um, the GST needs to be remitted to the government for. But, you, but this, as you said, Rainer, it's exactly what taxi drivers pay today. It's no difference. Well, and that's the thing. So the taxi industry here in Australia is regulated in a way that other sole traders are not. So if you're a sole trader and you, you, um, you, know, you deliver services that are GST-able, yes. uh, you don't need to uh, take GST and you don't need to pay that GST as long as you're under a certain threshold of income over the course of a year, I think it's 75000 Yeah, that's right. Taxis, though, are not um, taken up by that threshold. So they can, um, you know, they have to accept GST regardless of their, their total income over the course of a year. Mm. And perhaps because it is a public... Um, transport system, or it's a you know a taxis service. are a service to you know facilitate transport around right. our cities, right? So right, because you can't sort of um, have a different meter, basically. Mm. Yeah, everyone that's true. has to have the same metered fare, and and GST is included in 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 the price mm. of of things. That and, are and I and I guess Uber are concerned of prices rising, which they will to some extent. But the taxi drivers will also be able to deduct things like you know the cost of petrol because they pay GST as part of that, yep. and some other expenses. So it probably won't come up by the full ten percent. And it'll be interesting to see if the ACCC actually monitor how much the price changes when this comes into effect mm. very shortly. Yeah, suddenly again, this whole idea of um, of you know Uber meets local jurisdiction. Yes, Uber meets the A Triple C, for example. Yeah, look, it's a big pattern of things with them. They um, they love to sort of say, "Oh, we're doing this, we're doing that for people." Rah rah. Um, but when it comes to being treated by the law, like all these other ones, they're like, "Oh no, 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 we're totally different now," mm. you know, and. Um, It'll be it'll be interesting to see as well. So the ATO was talking about um, Airbnb, yep, as well, which yep. is another um, A community. Or no, what is yeah. it? What would we call uh, the it? sharing economy? Ah, that's right. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that of course is quite different. Yeah, accommodation is slightly different to to transport and um, the services mm. that that come from that as well. So yeah, that's right. We'll see what comes out of it. Mm. We have lots coming up today here on Technogaze, and uh, very shortly we're going to uh, join the Mile High Hacking Club. Technogaze. Download the Joy Smartphone app now at joy.org.au. Indeed, we are everywhere. and uh, You totally can. And I listen to Joy over here. It's over like you're Dutch. in Australia, isn't it? Oh, kind of. <laughs> I was actually really surprised when I was uh, even in Europe that the lag on the on the internet feed for Joy is is very small indeed. Like you're not you're not behind by, by more much. than ten seconds even, which is pretty good. You know, considering mm. it's travelling all the way over to the other side of the world and so forth. 
Mm. Well, I can. I'm, I'm using this uh, tool that we were talking about before, mm. and we're talking on the same time at Skype. Yes. And it it is completely in sync. There's no sort of weird lag on your uh, on your vision at all. Amazing modern technology, isn't it? Mm. It is the now talking moving a bits, moving bits around the ocean. <laughs> talking about moving in Europe and stuff like that. Um, yes. The airline industry has been uh, a little few tales recently of. Technology-related things. Yes. We, mm-hmm. A few weeks ago, we spoke about the Dreamliner that needs to be restarted every now and then. <laughs> well, no, look, and the, the let's not be too sort of, you know... Critical. Critical of them, because it, it required the engines to stay running for 247 days non-stop. Which and is a record. four of them as well? Uh, I'm not Probably sure. Probably four. Uh, one I, of them was, yeah. Turn off, yeah, maybe. Um, but better Even than, so, better than you, Windows you stay. Sorry? Better than Windows in its day. <laughs> <laughs> you used to have to wait like five days and then you're like, okay, I need to reboot now. But yeah, no, so um, the latest news, of course, is, is around uh, being able to hack uh, the flight systems, from the onboard flight systems from the entertainment systems that are on the back of every seat yeah. in modern aircraft. That's the story. Mm. Mm, but now, the story's a bit mm, iffy, isn't it? Yeah, so there's a guy. It's a little weird. There's a hacker, I think. What what is his name? Chris Roberts. Chris Roberts. Um, he's been claimed by the FBI as, as being uh, someone who who shouldn't be allowed on on planes now, due to certain tweets that he's made. He was actually escorted off a flight and told to make his own way home or wherever he's going. To, to be fair, he did jump on the flight, write a tweet that said, mm, "Should I play with the bit that drops the oxygen masks?" Oh, oh dear. Mm. Mm. Not funny. Yeah. So, um, but he, he's also now um, said that he's uh, broken into the flight entertainment system 20 times while flying. And on one of these, he was able to make the plane climb and move sideways via a laptop from his seat. Right. Um, yes. I, I wonder if he managed to, to you know, somehow press the, the bell button to get extra service to him. I don't know. <laughs> no, that, oh, that would be a miracle. <laughs> especially on some airlines. Uh, especially in, in cattle class, perhaps. But, um, no, it's, uh, so it is, it is quite serious because, I mean, you, you have all these connectivity, you know, you've got a USB port on the back of every seat now. Yep, and we have Wi-Fi. And you have Wi-Fi. Uh, and it is claimed that, in fact, Boeing uh, uh, have come out after these claims have been released saying, actually, the in-flight systems are not, Sorry, the entertainment systems aren't connected in the same way to to the in-flight systems, the the control systems. And they're completely separate. Separate. I wonder, though, I mean, there's a possibility of saving money by having just one internet connection outside of the plane. You know, your satellite connectivity, say it's it's beaming information back and forth about the engine um, uh, statistics. Maybe, you know, having two of those systems, one connection for, for... cattle class and the other connection for <laughs> pilot for the pilot um, perhaps that's a pretty costly thing to do well I'd hope they'd put the uh, the pilot or the in flight or the flight related information inside a VPN or something like that and protect it mm. because that's well, for the common practice that's that's what Boeing says is going on and one of the other stories that I read about this suggests that there's actually a different um, Ethernet port that he might have um, put his uh, bits and pieces oh. into under the seat. How would that, no one notice that? That's a bit boring. Wow. 
But, mm. but likewise, there haven't been any um, reports by pilots saying that, you know, the plane suddenly moved by itself. Right. People Which... are saying that it would be very, very weird if um, all of his claims are true. Yes. And uh, now he's all like, mm, actually, I'm not sure. And so... there is a certain element of FUD here. As in fear, uncertainty, and doubt. Yeah, that's all. Yes. That just, kind of fud. Yeah, that kind of fud. Just you know, just by raising it. Mm. I, yeah. I, and there's been all sorts of people raising their hands, going, "Actually, this is not possible." There's a mm. in-flight entertainment consultant uh, that mm. has said that anyone attempting to hack into systems from their seat would probably have caught the attention of nearby passengers and crew. I again would ask whether that's in fact the case because you know you can very surreptitiously plug into things you know below the seat you might be just bending down to you know stretch your legs or something um and and get away with it that way i mean they're pretty enclosed environments aren't they these days the seats it's, yeah it, it's hard enough to get your handbag out from under the seat much less do anything <laughs> else <laughs> Yes, <laughs> and you know, the, amount of, bomb. The, the number of times people come back and forth in uh, along the aisles as well is quite. Um, anyway, we should probably not go too far into. Um, how about anyway? United Airlines, though. Yes, they are so willing to put their money where their mouth is, or get you to put um, some money, or put their money where your mouth is. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure where I'm going with that. They would like you to. Um, reveal anything that you find if you are, you know, the security investigating type. And they've got free frequent flyer miles up for grabs for anyone who can actually point that out. But this is not on in-flight systems <laughs> at all. This is to do with their public website. They're no, saying do not, ha- do not hack our planes. No, that would be a poor idea. Yes. Now, I do, I do question the value of uh, United Airlines frequent flyer points. But anyway, that's another story, <laughs> whether it's a reward or not. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that, a free trip somewhere is pretty cool. They, True. So they've gone down the route of um, the major tech uh, companies like Google and Facebook and Microsoft, but they're a, a, uh, an airline. So, you know, it's good to, I guess, follow the lead of leading companies. That's one way to look at it. The other is, is that they're saving money on their testing. They're getting their customers to do it for them. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, and that, level, that, that criticism was often levelled at, at Google and Microsoft in that, you know, why don't you do this yourself? Why don't you yes. employ these people yourself? But there's only so much that you can, you know, employ the right people for. Mm. Um, you know, having mm. diversity and just having pure bounty systems, that, that works as well. Well, the whole magic that people say about open source or open um, any sort of system is that you have the possibility of having all of those eyeballs doing the work for you. And mm. it's supposed to be better. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it is nice to have the sweetener of a few frequent flyer points. Maybe you could spend them on a hotel. Maybe you don't have to go on a United flight. I don't know. I, I'm a, I'm a <laughs> hugely new activist, activist for frequent flyer points, I have to say. I'm, I'm Mark's all over the this. bug. I have. <laughs> um, but, now, talking about bugs in not such a nice way, um, uh, a, a new uh, Airbus aircraft, the A400M, which is a military transport plane, Mm. recently crashed in Spain, and it's thought because of a software bug affecting the engines. Yeah, now it's a bit, a bit sad, this one, because it, it actually killed the, the four crew that were on board at the time. This is back uh, on the 9th of, of May. as a military transport aircraft. Um, mm. So uh, were they testing it at the time? Or were uh, I think they were on their, uh, like, accepting the plane as part of the run-in things. Right, yeah. okay, yeah. yeah. So, but as a result, they, Airbus have actually sent out an alert um, to customers who already have this plane 
um, I was about to say productionized. I guess it's kind of a term that well, yeah, they have accepted delivery yeah. of them. Yeah, um, instructing them to conduct specific tests to ensure that the uh, electronic control units in their engines um, mm. don't uh, cause any any crash. Um, yeah, so apparently it, sh- it, it suffered a, a shutdown of of three of its engines. Yeah. Yeah, so the reports that uh, that have happened is that three of the engines, so it's a four-engine um, propeller aircraft, mm. uh, that three of them shut down during this test flight and they were trying to get back to an airport but they didn't make it. Right. Um, Sadly. And yeah. the, uh, the report said they received contradictory instructions from the flight control system, whatever that means. Mm. After after watching many documentaries on on air flight disasters, because I'm I'm all over that stuff too now, um, <laughs> it's it doesn't surprise me that contradictory in fr- like the the one in particular I I just can't get enough of the um, the A three eighty out of Singapore the the Qantas flight and right the the there's a really good documentary which has been put on um, on ABC but it's also quite easily available um, on the interwebs. Um, it's a Four Corners documentary. And just the the situation that they were in to to deal with that with passengers on board, mind you, you mm. know an air, uh, the um, uh, the engine just disappeared essentially and, and caused a whole lot of damage to the plane. Yep. And to recover from that and have and and the description of what the systems were were saying, you know, this constant barrage of errors, um, you know, is amazing. And I yeah, I just salute any pilot that can deal with that sort of stuff. And that's where... The the amazing thing about those programs is just how complicated uh, everything can get and how Mm. it shows you that just one little thing can stuff everything up. Yeah. And the more we rely on uh, on software and and on things that can be easily, um, you know, stuffed around with, Mm. I suppose, by accident or whatever... It's quite scary. It's a matter of understanding the the software as opposed to perhaps the um, you know, uh, which is a remove one one step removed from the actual physics of it. Perhaps mm. Uh, mm. you know the good. I think the good um, pilots out there know both really well. Yes. So there there will be an investigation once uh, the black box is retrieved, and uh, hopefully uh, things will be resolved and won't happen again. Hmm. Now, coming up next, we're going to be talking with Benaz and Fernando, a couple of researchers. A little less straight than other radio stations. Joy ninety four point nine. Yes, we like to keep it a bit twisty. We do indeed. <laughs> Brings conscious up memory, <laughs> thoughts of food, <laughs> a bit twisty. Hmm. Yes, um, not that we're affected by advertising too much. Not at all. Now, one area we like to focus on here on Technogaze is how technology is applied in a day-to-day fashion. And uh, for example, we when we uh, want to connect with others across town or perhaps across the other side of the world, like we are today with Rainer, for example. It is in relative terms a recent development that we are able to both hear and see our loved ones in very close to real time. Now, we have many options like Skype, uh, which was recently bought by Microsoft. Google Hangouts, of course, is another one. And WebEx um, by Cisco, perhaps, is, is another product that you might be familiar with. All of which are available and reliable enough to now start asking questions like, how do we interact with each other when we use this application? Or perhaps, does the context in which 
we're using the application affect um, the types of conversations that we have. Now, luckily, we have two very qualified people with us in the studio to ask us those to ask those very questions. Uh, Fernando and Menaz, um, join us from a joint research centre between Microsoft and Melbourne Uni. Welcome very very much to Joy ninety four point nine, both of you. Thanks, Mark and Michael, for your Hi. nice introduction. <laughs> Thank you. And Fernando, you're, of course, a, a Joy volunteer here as well. Of course, yes. Yes. So welcome to the studio. Thanks. <laughs> now, um, uh, you're looking uh, into the use of video conferencing and how people are branching out to some degree, taking their uh, overseas conversations into the kitchen with them, uh, perhaps even sharing a meal with, yep. uh, with, uh, with other people overseas. Yeah, absolutely. And but the thing is that it's not limited to kitchen or you know the bedroom or living room. So um, we have observed, and also other researchers have observed that um, nowadays the video call technologies have entered into different spaces at home. So it's not like that that people will sit in front of the computer in a fixed sp- you know uh, place and then talk for I don't know half an hour or an hour. Um, it's more like sharing experience, so sharing moments of their lives, uh, whatever they do every day. It could be having a meal or it could be, for example, watching TV together. Mm. And so also a very mobile experience these days as well, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. So, um, for example, in mobile contexts, you can see that people will go out and if they want to shop, sh- you know, do shopping yep. and buy something and they're not sure about, okay, I want to buy this one or the other one so they will have a Skype conversation with you know their friends and show show things so mm. do you think that you know this color is better than the other one so yep now when i uh when i use video conferencing say in the office quite often it's set up in a, in a location that is um there's already common for meetings to take place so so you could say in a work context we're not too far removed from what we're used to when performing the task at hand Perhaps this is where the difference lies when it comes to uh, conferencing at home. Um, would you say there's, there's a sort of a, a gap there, I guess, when, when you use, say, Skype? You're always in front of the computer at, at home. Yeah, and also one of the important things that plays a very important role is the source of relationships, um, which is between people who are doing Skype. So, for example, when... Uh, you're Skyping at work, you have a formal relationship with your colleague or your boss or whoever you are Skyping. Yep. Uh, so um, in that case, you don't feel that you are, you are that much comfortable to share um, anything else other than your face. And, you know. But when you are in the domestic environment, you absolutely want to share everything with whoever you, you're Skyping with. Mm-hmm. So I don't know, probably you would share um, the environment. You will have a kind of house tour if you have moved into a new place. So yeah, it's, it makes it very different from the work environment. And um, yep, and, and also, so for example, um, people share different things um, at home and the mobility helps them to do it which is not necessary in the work context. Mm. In, in the work context, often the verbal communication is the paramount thing and the visual is something that just helps it along so you can read people's body languages for their understanding and not understanding. At home, is it the other way around, do you think? I cannot say that it's the other round, but yeah, the environment um, plays a, an important role. For example, you can see um, 
you might know, for example, people or couples who might leave the Skype on for an extended period of time if they are living far from each other okay. because they just want to have a sense of, you know, togetherness. So definitely the Skype experience at home is different from that kind of work environment. I'd say it's perhaps um, a primary function saying work is, you know, you're having the conversation to have that conversation, whereas... Yeah. In the home, you probably just want to share some time yeah. with with the person at the other end. So, um, you know, it might be. Oh, by the way, I'm doing the the washing, or I'm mm. doing the um, uh, you know, cooking a meal, your favorite meal, and uh, you know, I'm and sorry uh, yeah, and, and also the other thing is the purpose. So when you have a a work Skype conversation, you have a specific goal for that conversation. Mm. But when you are, you know, um, Skyping with your friend or families, you just want to be in touch so there's no purpose for that conversation other than you know let it go and see okay let's update each other mm, mm. it's it's like um, i want a bit of company and you might not be physically here but at least i can look at you and i know that you're every now and then looking at me and we're interacting yeah, yeah. absolutely now you've performed some research to date where uh, where you look at the way people use video conferencing tools uh, and perhaps what what could be called the the default setting or the you know the, the default way you can use a device, whether it be a, a phone device or, or whatever. What have you found from that, that sort of research so far? Well, um, so for example, in our group, we basically do a kind of exploration study to see what currently people do mm-hmm. and then find the challenges or problems or, or places that we can um, enhance the experience. So we can work on that and enhance the experience. Uh, in my first study, I did exactly the same with uh, video call experiences. So uh, I observed participants, how they currently do Skype with their family members. Mm-hmm. And wh- what was um, actually, it was surprising at some point and um, not surprising on the other hand, because um, we were kind of also expecting that it wouldn't be only conversation. Uh, so we found lots of moments in the Skype conversations that people um, were not uh, conversing and um, they were kind of, you know, um, moving abo- moving um, beyond talking head experiences. Right. So sharing Do, time with each other. Sharing exactly, yeah. It, it more in a, a, a sort of just being there yeah. kind of sense. Um, so that was a very initial observation. But at the end, we came to this point that how characteristic, uh, characteristics of technologies Um, shape these experiences. Mm -hmm. So, for example, if people are using a laptop, because laptop is not that much mobile, similar to mobile phone, Mm -hmm. people are limited to a a place Mm -hmm. and they are less um, likely to move around the house. But when we had um, participants who were using mobile phones or iPad or tablets, they were more mobile within the house. It's interesting that the technology really dictates a lot of, of what you do yep. with, with the, the experience, I guess. And that's, I guess, where, what, exactly what you're, you're looking into, right? Yeah. yeah. And, Fernando, do you think that in the future manufacturers of these mobile devices will have things like stands so that you can take your mobile phone, hold it, but you can also put it down on the table and then focus it on someone? Uh, well, I guess uh, well, technology is going uh, further. And Benas uh, is, well, a very good example of doing research that perhaps it will ha- turn into hands-on experience in future technology. And, uh, well, perhaps I can also talk about, because I participated in one of uh, Benas' studies, mm-hmm. uh, studies, sorry, 
And for me, it was really very interesting to know how I approach technology. Mm. And that because I'm like very old, or <laughs> 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 well, I see myself like, well, I'm, I'm getting very old. Uh, in my time, I used to be, you know, sitting in front of the telephone. Yep. And now I do the video the same way. Right. I, I'm fixed in, in that place. Right, okay. Yep. So uh, it's been really very interesting to know, well, uh, if technology is there and I can do more things than that, uh, well, I'll better use uh, those uh, resources. So that's like a learned behavior, I guess, of, of Yes, of uh, for me, was so. yeah. to learn about my own behavior by being aware of what the research that Benaz is doing right. is about. I'd also imagine that if the device that is capturing the video and the audio is disappears into the background, you're going to be less conscious of it and you will just naturally go about your everyday business as if it's not there and act a lot more natural. Yes, uh, well, I think that uh, technology is uh, that part that is uh, that needs to be invisible. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, so mm-hmm. the, uh, what is important is the communication and the interaction between people. It's amazing that you know technology in general, and it happens across the board. But you know, and this is a good example of it of how we're changing the conversation around how we think about technology. It's not so much about the functionality of of whatever it is that you're using. It's actually about how people use it, and that's that's a very key difference. And suddenly, the human sciences combined with you know engineering. In order to to achieve, you know, to un, to uh, to a, a get a, a much greater understanding. Now, what 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 would you say is next in in what you're um, what what you're doing in terms of research, Vanessa? Yep. So, building upon the, our findings in the first study, we thought that now let's go and see what new technologies, how new technologies have change the people's behavior and interactions um, during the video calls. Mm. So, for example, one of the technologies that um, currently we are exploring is Skype on Xbox One. And there's a purpose behind that because it gives um, a new experience to people because the camera can follow them. So they don't need to organize the um, camera angle. Or, for example, it can um, the sensor can detect up to four people, and uh, it will try to frame the video to put everyone in mm-hmm. the video. Yep. But, for example, in the first study, I observed that how it is difficult for for people to manage, you know, putting their head into the <laughs> um, videos into the video. Yep. Um, and also, yeah. So these sorts of things that was different, that makes the Skype experience different, uh, was interesting to be explored. Mm. So now I am trying to understand this by giving people Xbox One and asking them to have a kind of Skype conversation with their friends or families and then see how the social um, interactions and the environment is different from um, what we observed in the first study. Okay, so you're actually looking for, for research participants, I guess, to, yeah. to to help you out with this. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I, I guess you'd you're probably wanting to monitor the uh, the conversations as well, or at least you know sort of see what's what's actually happening in the conversation. Yeah, so, so yeah, it's a it's like that because we do observations, but it's not uh, like, for example, I will stand there or at the time that they are skyping, I will watch them. No, um, we will record that, so uh, we will create a, a three side Skype conversations because right. we want we want it to we want to record it on our 
um, you know, laptops. But then later on for, for you know, doing the analysis, we will come back to that data. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, participants wouldn't feel, you know, uncomfortable about being watched at that time because yeah. that's not the case. Uh, but, yeah, we are looking, for example, a, mm, f- for a pair of friends or family members in Melbourne. Hmm. Um, and we will give them Xbox One and it will be with them for, for example, four to five days. We will also provide them with games so they can... enjoy you know using xbox one and try it out and also during this time we ask them to have a skype conversations now if anyone's interested in helping out um how how much what's the best way of contacting you Uh, i think the best way is my um university email account Uh um which is it's uh, your your first the first letter of your first name and yeah the initial of my first name and then my last name yep so it's b-r-o-s-t-a-m-i Exactly, at uh, student.unimel.edu.au. Yes, and we'll, we'll post a, a, um, uh, uh, put a post up on our Facebook page for anyone who's interested in Fantastic. Uh, getting in contact as well. You don't have to remember the email address right now. Uh, thank you very much for, for coming in, Fernando and Vanaz. It's um, great to talk to you about research that's going on in the industry. So uh, thanks for having us. No worries. Thank All right, you. Uh, we'll be back very shortly with some more news, in, including... Um, Oh, yes, Ironet and Dallas Buyers Club. Mm, that little rant session right after this. Technogiz. All day, every day. Joy 94.9 on air and online at joy.org.au. You're listening to Technogiz with Michael, Mark and Raina, all the way from the other side of the Dutch. The Dutch. The Dutch. <laughs> the, du- the Dutch ditch. Mm, we... Beautiful Wellington. Is the weather nice there? It's very dark outside. It's later there, isn't it? It is. It's uh, definitely winter. Mm, definitely winter has winter. come. Yes, dark here as well. Dallas Buyers Club. Mm-hmm. What's the story with that? Well, that's a movie, isn't it? And the movie um, is sort of well known in piracy circles because it was. Uh, it wasn't. It w- they set up this sort of. Uh, housing company uh, of sorts, I guess. I don't know what the, the correct terminology is, but they basically set up their own company to to take people to court over um, the piracy of um, of this particular movie. And they uh, came to Australia and realised that they couldn't get access, direct access, to the people's uh, information who they had determined um, had pirated this movie. And now, that's different to the way it is in the States, where they could get access? Uh, they, yeah, there's all those... Law, wow, what, is, what was that law called? The... Um, uh, the three strike law? No, 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 it's not three strikes in the US. It's actually, um, you know, DMCA. Oh, the takedown, yeah. Yeah, so I, I think they use a lot of those kind of laws to get away with, um, you know, finding people over there. And Europe as well has, has got a lot of uh, three strikes uh, laws in place where, you know, there's no ifs or buts. They just have to provide the information over to the, the big copyright holders. We haven't had that here. But we have had uh, a, a court case take place from Dallas Buyers Club, uh, where Ironet and Dodo and a whole bunch of other ISPs were taken to court over the the you know them to actually provide this information. Mm. Uh, so the the um, the outcome of that is that the judge here in Australia has um, found in favour of the copyright holders and they must uh, hand over the information. So if you downloaded Dallas Buyers Club from uh, you know, a peer-to-peer application, 
uh, perhaps you um, you may begin a letter shortly. Yes. That's right. Now, there were apparently 4,700-odd people in Australia who did this, which is a lot. It, it's quite a large number. Yeah. Mm. Um, they, yeah, they... Um, they, they've, they, the other um, aspect of this is that they've actually had to um, give the the wording of the letter that they're going to send out uh, to the judge for oversight. Yes, which is very different to the states where I think they just sent out whatever le- letter they wanted with whatever threats they wanted to make. Mm. That's exactly right. They call that um, speculative invoicing. In, in some oh yeah, they well. they do a pay pay a pay a lot now or pay even more later on if we find that you're guilty, don't right. they? Right. Yeah, and it was, right. it was in a sense of you know lots of legal jargon, so the the average person would go, oh my god, I need to pay this quickly, otherwise I'm going to be you know sued to oblivion. So, and, um, and and many years ago there was a case re- not regarding movies but regarding music where um, this woman was basically fined hundreds of thousands of dollars for downloading the song or, or allowing the song to be uploaded or something like that. Mm. Yeah. Now, in this instance, it might actually be a little cheaper. Uh, How much are they looking at? Do well, we Ionet's got a blog post about it where they say that they suspect that the amount you might have to end up probably won't be much. Mm-hmm. It would be the equivalent of if you had purchased it legally or, or streamed it re- um, legally or whatever. So it could be as small as ten bucks. Well, that's not too bad from mm. an end user but, point of view. But we don't know. Mm. <laughs> There's also talk of them um, uh, asking us how much we think is uh, is a fair price to be to be paying for for having infringed the copyright, which is something that a tactic that they've tried in this, in Singapore apparently. Oh, how did that? Do you know how that's that worked? Well, it, it turns it on its head. It sort of puts the onus back on the on the copyright infringer to to you know set the price. Mm. And I would suspect a lot of people would t- reply with tongue in cheek. Actually, it's worth whatever I you know um, yeah. whatever I paid to to get it, and that is zero. Mm. <laughs> now, the letters are expected to, or the the Dallas um, Bias Club people are expected to ask for this information probably by the end of this month, which is coming up. So we'll probably know more about it shortly. Mm. Moving on quickly to Facebook and Internet.org. Right. So Internet.org, which I guess people have heard about before, um, is Facebook trying to expand Internet access to to people in the developing world. Mm. And what's happened very recently is that there's a group of people who have put in a big open letter that says, well, actually, Zuckers, we're not that keen, and uh, here are a few reasons why. Yeah, so there's been a few criticisms uh, of mm. of this particular internet.org, in particular that it's not a, a complete, you know, you don't have access to necessarily everything that the internet, as we know it, would have access to. No, right. they're proposing to have a number of free sites, which will be limited, mm. and uh, so because that way the argument is, oh, well, it's better than nothing. But that's mm. one way of looking at it. Well, that's the thing. I mean, would you say to Australians that everyone should be cool with whatever Telstra Optus or Rupert Murdoch wants to dish up? Mm. No, you wouldn't. No. Why is that okay for the third world? And kind of the the premise of where the internet came from, you know, the development of it has always been, hey, um, you know, this is a, a system that should be free for everyone. You know, there's even talk of it being a human right in the same way that perhaps water yes. and so forth is. Yeah, so. and the thing is, he could... 
spend a bunch of money and time and infrastructure on uh, making that available to everyone. But if you keep them all on Facebook, you keep the income. Yes, it's um, it's remarkable how it's yeah. Facebook is one of these uh, free ones that people are allowed to use. We'll post a link you to the product. We'll post a link to the um, to the the open letter as well on our Facebook page if you're interested in the particular wording. Yep. Uh, we, we time is running out uh, for today. But, yeah, uh, that's a surprise, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> it always happens. Um, we'll be back with more in a few moments. Techno games. You're listening to Technogaze on Joy 94.9, and we're uh, coming to the end of the show. Alas. Happens way too quickly, doesn't it, Raina? Always does. Yes, but we'll be back next week, of course. Um, And if you've missed any part of the show, perhaps you're looking to listen to previous episodes, you can do so by uh, going to joy.org.au slash technogaze. Up next is the uh, 6 o'clock news bulletin with Byron, followed by a touch of Pink with Dick, whose single of the week is from... uh, Bright light, bright light. I have to say it that way, sorry. Bright light. <laughs> Raina, thank you very much for being here this week. Thank you. It's so cool. It's so good to have you back on the air again. It's really good. And Mark, thank you very much. No wackers. And we will catch you all next week. Bye. Ciao. Techno Gaze on Joy 94.9. This podcast was produced by Joy Media. You can support Joy's diverse sound and diverse community this June by donating to Joy Radiothon 2024. Go to joy.org.au slash radiothon. And remember, we all flourish with joy. Joy.